on as we continue our studies in the book of Deuteronomy. And this week we find ourselves in Parsha Ki Tavo. Um, if you sense I was a little frustrated last week in Ki Tetze, it's because I was uh, really anxious to get to Ki Tavo, because Ki Tetze and Ki Tavo are like two halves of a menorah, and they must be studied together to have balance. And so hopefully questions you had from Ki Tetze, because uh, I felt like it was an unfinished teaching, hopefully those questions will be answered as we go through Kitavo. Kitavo is an amazing passage, uh, and not a pleasant one necessarily, but extremely important for us. And I hope that by the end of the teaching, you'll look at Kitavo with new eyes, and uh, that'll be a blessing to you. Uh, Kitavo is a fairly short portion. It's three chapters plus a few verses. And the first chapter of Kitavo, which is Deuteronomy 26, it's all joy, thanksgiving. It's people bringing the bikurim, the first fruits of their harvest, to Jerusalem to bring it to the altar, to present it before God, to make a declaration, and uh, to review God's blessing and history in their lives. And, and I, che- I encourage you to look up uh, some information about what it was like back in ancient times when the people brought their first fruits to Jerusalem. It was incredibly festive and joyful with dancing and music and food, and it was just a big festival. It was wonderful. But then you come to the next chapter, chapter 27, which is blessings and cursings. Blessings and curses. And, uh, and then when you get to the next chapter, chapter 28, there's some more blessings, but a whole lot more curses. And you think, this is kind of a downer. Uh, what's this all about? And so, in the email on Thursday, I asked you, as I did last week, what do you think is the theme of this Torah portion, Kitavo? If you had to sum it up in just a couple or three words, what would you say? And I know this is more of a struggle, but let me tell you what the theme of this passage is. It is fear of God. Fear of God. And I know the reason this may be a little surprising is because of all the joy and thanksgiving and the festivities that open the Torah portion. But let me tell you something right up front. If there's no real fear of God in your life, there's no real gratitude to God either. There's no real love for God. And as we go through, you'll see that the scriptures support what I'm saying. It's sad, and I've commented to friends many times over the last few years, how I see a serious lack of fear of God in people who call themselves believers today. I never hear teachings or sermons on the fear of God. It's a very unpopular topic. Nobody even thinks about fear of God today, it seems like, except for me. I'm sure there are others out there, but boy, I sure don't hear them. And yet, the scriptures are so vocal about fear of God. You'll find the phrase fear of God or fear of Adonai hundreds, hundreds of times throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Um, If I'm not mistaken, Psalms uses the phrase most. And then right behind the book of Psalms is Deuteronomy. 
So the fear of God is a, a powerful and a central topic in the scriptures, and yet one we don't like to think about or talk about. And no wonder it's so absent in the lives of so many believers today. I hope that this teaching, my prayer is that this teaching helps restore a healthy fear of God, which is a good thing. It's a blessing. It's a life-giving thing. And it's a life-transforming thing if we can truly embrace a wholesome, godly, biblical fear of God. I want to revisit the graphic that I shared with you last week. If you recall, last week for Kitetse, I asked you what the theme of that uh, Torah portion was, and most of you got it right, and that is respect for others. Respect for others. And that Amalek, we talked about Amalek quite a bit, and Amalek is the enemy of this, and to have true respect for others, we must defeat Amalek. Because last week's Torah portion, Kitetse, began with words concerning war, and it ended with words concerning war, and specifically war against Amalek. Throughout the scriptures, Amalek is a picture of the fleshly appetites, but even more than that, the thing that feeds the fleshly appetites is the self, the ego, me first. I, I feed chipmunks off of our back deck. The neighbors don't like it. They try to get rid of the chipmunks, but they all come to my house, and I am, I am the chipmunk god in their eyes, and, I, and they come up, and some of them eat out of my hand, but I'll, I'll drop peanuts off. And this morning, before I came here, I was out there. It was a nice morning, and there are about four there. And as soon as a second chipmunk comes up, they start wrestling and scrambling, and there are plenty of peanuts for all of them. But that fleshly animal appetite is me first, me instead of you, never you instead of me. And it's comical to watch them. They're like little clowns wrestling and chasing each other. Then they'll come back to get a peanut, and another one come along, and they'll wrestle. And there are peanuts all over the place. But they can't tolerate the thought that there's another chipmunk around that's going to get my peanut. So uh, I learn a lot about people by watching those chipmunks. But respect for others. And as long as Amalek is alive and well in my life, what appears to be respect for others is a sham. It's a fake. It's a fraud. Let me explain. If Amalek is alive and well in your life, you can have some acquaintances and friends, some chums, but your friendship with them is based on what benefits you derive from them. If you enjoy their company, then you'll spend time with them. If they flatter and praise you, you spend time with them. If they give you gifts, you spend time with them. If they make you look good in the crowd, you spend time with them. Um, but the moment you don't derive benefit from their company, the moment you don't enjoy your time with them, then the distance comes in and they go off. You lose your respect for them. Oftentimes, young people and children will talk about their friends. My friends, I've spent time with my friends. And occasionally I have a chance to talk to them and we discuss this and I'll, I'll explain to them 
that probably you don't have a single friend right now. But only later, as you grow and mature, and you become the man or woman you're supposed to be, are you capable of truly being a friend and having a friend? And if you can go in through this life and have three real friends, you are a blessed person. Because I taught uh, public school for 30 years, and I saw how these so-called friends treated each other. And the moment you weren't popular, the moment you did something stupid, the moment you, you did not bring benefit to your so-called friends, they dropped you, and you're not their friend anymore. So real friendship is something that takes a great investment. So if Amalek, if the self is ruling in my life, what appears like respect for others is not real. It might be fear of others, and I'll give them respect out of fear. But generally, my acquaintance and my connection with other people is because I derive benefit from them. Now, the theme of this week's Torah portion is fear of God. And last week, as I gave you this graphic, I put fear of God in this, this graphic that looks like a, a foundation stone because True respect for others must be founded upon a real fear of God. If I have a genuine, healthy fear of God, and he tells me to love my neighbors myself, I'm going to take that seriously. And if I truly have a fear of God, then I can know him. I will have wisdom. I will know him, and I will see his image in his creation. And when I see another human being... I'll see the image of my creator in that human being. Even if it's a fallen and marred image, I still see the image of my creator in that person. And I can love that person. I can respect them even if they mistreat me, even if they speak lies against me and attack me. I may not be real close to them, but I can still love them, respect them, and serve them because I have a healthy fear of God. If I have a healthy fear of God, that means I've defeated Amalek. I'm not afraid of Amalek. Remember at the end of last week's Torah portion, Kitetse, it referred to Amalek, this ongoing eternal battle, almost eternal battle against Amalek. And it mentioned that Amalek had no fear of God. So when we defeat Amalek, we have a healthy fear of God. If we have a healthy fear of God, we can defeat Amalek. And if we have this healthy fear of God, we will have love and respect for others. You know, this is summed up in a, one verse in Leviticus. Leviticus 25, 17. Look what it says. You shall not wrong one another. That's the theme of Kitetse, last week's Torah portion. And it says, but you shall fear your God. That's the theme of this week's Torah portion, Kitavo. For I am Adonai, your God. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall have fear of God. Because these two go together. If you have a healthy fear of God, you don't wrong one another. And if you do, you're very quick to confess your sin and go to that person to make things right. You know, you might ask the question, well, if fear of God is so important, why doesn't the Torah discuss that first? Why didn't ki tavo come before ki Tetse? Why didn't the Torah portion about fear of God 
precede the Torah portion about respect for others. Well, it's interesting that when you look at the opening words and the names of these Torah portions, Kitetzei means when you go out. And it opens with Kitetzei lemilchama, when you go out to the war. When you go out to war. But the warfare that is discussed in last week's Torah portion is not warfare in the wilderness. It's the warfare that takes place once they will cross the Jordan into the Promised Land. It's all about future warfare. They had defeated Sihon and Og. Their wars in the wilderness were over. They were done with. They were complete. Their next war would be across the Jordan against Jericho. So last week's Torah portion says when you go out to war, it's talking about the future. But Kitavo, this week's Torah portion, says that when you come in, but when you read the whole phrase, it's when you come into the land. You must come into the land before you can go out to the war. So Kitavo is talking about what comes first. Kitetse, last week's Torah portion, talks about what comes second. So why did God put Kitetse before Kitavo? I don't know. But maybe it's an indication of his humility. Maybe he's more concerned about us respecting one another than he is about us loving him. Just a thought. Our God is a humble God. As mighty and great as he is, he's a humble God and a selfless God. And I know as a parent, sometimes I was more concerned with my children, children loving their siblings that I was with them loving me. I wanted them to love and respect one another. I knew they did that. The relationship with me would be okay. And I think sometimes God's the same way. After all, when Yeshua is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I think one of the ways we love God is by loving our neighbor. If we do that, loving him is easy. Fear of God, this unpopular topic. What I want to do, I I went through and I didn't even look up all the passages where fear of God is mentioned, but I I grabbed out a a couple handfuls of verses. And I would like us to walk through just a few of these. And I'm hoping that as we read through these that your idea, your image, and your feelings about what fear of God is will change and will come more into focus with what the scriptures say about the fear of God. So let's begin. We're going to start with Genesis 22:12. Now, this is Moses. Or, I'm sorry, Abraham, when he took his son Isaac atop um, Mount Moriah to sacrifice him, and he's ready to plunge the knife into his son and kill him. And um, and when just when he, at the moment he's ready to do this, an angel appears and speaks to him, and he said, "Do not lay your hand on the boy, nor do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear." God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Why was God so interested in proving Abraham's fear of him? Didn't God already know how much Abraham feared him? Of course he did. But he wanted him to prove it as an example to you and me. Because a person who truly fears God withholds nothing from God. And Abraham's fear of God was so healthy, so pure, so strong, 
he was willing to give his own son for God. In Exodus 18, 21, it says, Moreover, Moses is telling, or God's telling Moses, Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. God was instructing Moses how to establish authority within the congregation. And the primary thing was that they had to be men who fear God. Because men who fear God can be trusted among people because they're going to respect their brothers and sisters. They're going to do what's right because they know they're being watched. They know they must give an account to God. They don't want to disappoint God. Second Samuel 23, 3 and 4. Do you ever wonder what David's very last words were? Here they are. In fact, I'm going to back up to verses 1 and 2. They are in your notes, and you can read them there. But in 2 Samuel 23, verses 1 and 2, this is what it says. Now, these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the Mashiach, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Quote, the spirit of Adonai speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. And then it continues with verse 3 on the screen. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, quote, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Who is the he he's talking about? The one who rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God. The he is the king. And David's dying words, his last words were, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he, that man, dawns on them like the morning light like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Can you imagine what it would be like if the United States had a president, a vice president, and cabinet, and senate, and congress who ruled this way? They were people who feared God? We would feel like we lived in a country where the sun is dawning like the morning light, like the sun shining forth in a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass that sprout from the earth. That's how we would feel to have such leaders. But what happens when you have leaders who do not fear God? They fear the opinion polls. They fear everything but God. Then it's darkness, it's deception, it's weakness, it's defeat. Psalm 36.1, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. You know, you've got two voices speaking to you. And if you are a wicked person, transgression is speaking deep in your heart because there's no fear of God before your eyes. But a person who fears God Transgression does not speak deep in his heart. Righteousness speaks deeply in his heart. Because he does not want to disappoint this one whom he fears. Psalm 55, 19. 
God will give ear and humble them. He's, now, David here is writing about the, uh, the rebels in his life, those who are out to try to kill him. It says, God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. A person who fears God is quick to make a change. He's quick to follow God. He doesn't want to disappoint him. He has no fear of change. And comfort is not an addiction to him because his love of God is based on healthy fear of God that he will do what God wants him to do. Proverbs 3, 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear Adonai and turn away from evil. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of Adonai is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Notice the progression here. Fear of Adonai comes first. What follows fear of Adonai? Wisdom. And then what follows wisdom? Knowledge. Knowledge of the Holy One. Some people want to jump the first two, and they want knowledge of God. They want knowledge. They want theology and Bible knowledge. They want to know, 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 know. They just want knowledge, but they don't have wisdom. And you can have plenty of knowledge and no wisdom. And they don't have wisdom because they didn't start at the beginning. There's no fear of God there. Proverbs 14, verses 26, 27. In the fear of Adonai, one has strong confidence. You see, when you fear God, you fear nothing else. But if you don't have a fear of God, you fear everything else, and you don't have confidence. You may have brazenness, and you may, have, you may strut about like, and be, act like you're cocky, but inside you're quavering because you're fearful. But in the fear of Adonai, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of Adonai is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Did you ever think of that? Fear of Adonai is a fountain of life? Fear of Adonai is a life-giving thing? Let's go on. Proverbs 19.23. The fear of Adonai leads to, there you have it again, leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Fear of Adonai is such a protection. It brings wisdom. It brings knowledge. It brings connection to God. It allows you to respect others and to love them. It allows you to change. It allows you to get out of your comfort zone. The fear of God is a life-giving thing, and without it, it is almost impossible to do what's right. We must grow in our fear of God. Isaiah 8, 12 to 13. Um, this is, the context of this is that there are a lot of uh, uh, rebels uh, rebelling against God's leadership, and they're wanting to go over to the enemy and uh, wanting to jump ship, so to speak. And God gives Isaiah some advice and some wisdom to pass on. And he says, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But Adonai of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, let him be your dread. We live in a time when 
there's so much to fear. There's so much uncertainty. And I've said many times over the last 9, 10, 12 months that I really believe we're moving into the birth pangs of Messiah. The world's never going to be the way it was. We're moving a time of great darkness, great fear, a great shaking. And, um, and there's all kinds of conspiracy theories out there, and some of them may be true. Like I heard someone once say, uh, uh, <laughs> well, Noah was building the ark. It was a conspiracy theory until it started raining. So uh, some of them may be true. But the thing is, I'm not concerned with that. I am focused on not fearing what the world fears. I'm focused on not calling a conspiracy what the world calls a conspiracy. But I am focused on fearing God. I'm going to let him be my fear. My only fear is disappointing him, letting him down, and not accomplishing the work he's given me to do. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Now, some people may say, but we live in New Testament times. We, that's all Old Testament you're quoting, Grant. And, you know, now we live, and it's all love, 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 and perfect love cast out fear. What's all this fear of God talk? Well, apparently Paul didn't get that memo. Because in 2 Corinthians 7.1, Paul writes, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. To bring holiness to completion, there has to be fear of God. You know, there are, are more references, more passages in your notes. So when you go down to the end, uh, one of the things I'd like you to do is to read through those as well and discuss them. And, um, and the ones in Revelation are very encouraging. So I think you'll enjoy looking at those. It sounds odd to say you can enjoy discussing and studying the fear of God. But I believe that without a healthy fear of God, there's no real joy. And the reason I believe that is because fear of God is awareness of God. Fear of God is awareness of God. As I say so many times, the day is coming when you and when I will stand face to face with God. And we'll look into his eyes if we are able to raise our eyes to his. And he will look at us. He will speak distinctly and directly to you, to me. And we will give an account of our lives. I guarantee then you'll be aware of him. I guarantee you that then you'll have a healthy fear if maybe for the first time in your life. And if we can live in the awareness of that coming day, and it is coming, it's even more certain than death and taxes. You will stand before him. You will be judged by him. And you'll be so totally aware of him. So to be a, have a fear of God now is to be totally aware of him and to realize how aware he is of us. Let me give you a little analogy. You know, teaching public school for 30 years, there were several different principals I served under who would, uh, you know, I taught at a few different schools and, 
and uh, there'd be a principal there for a few years, or a headmaster, you call them, in, overseas. And uh, then they would go on to something else, and another headmaster would come in, and you're like, oh boy, what's this one going to be like? And some of them were excellent, and some of them were not so good. And some of the not-so-good ones would always be happy and joyful and high-five. Hi, good to see you. You're doing a great job, blah, 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 blah. They're always just doing this, but nothing they ever said really meant anything because they weren't really in control. They were just always kind of yucking it up and talking and slapping you on the back. And, yeah, they were pleasant and joyful and upbeat, but... They really didn't do a very good job of running the school. On the other hand, there's especially one, the first principal at the first school I served at. He was top-notch. He was great. He didn't go around with a big grin on his face. He looked pretty serious most of the time. And he was never unpleasant to you, but he was all business. And so with a principal like that, or with a boss like that, wherever you may work, you really want to mind your P's and Q's. You don't want to be caught slacking off because you knew that this leader took his job seriously. And that if you were not doing what you're supposed to be doing, he wouldn't hesitate to wisely and very pointedly take you to task and say, this isn't good enough. This is unacceptable. You need to refix this. You need to make these changes. I'll be watching. I expect you to do better next time. And they'll do it without trying to grind you into dust on their heel. They'll do it without anger. But they will call you to task. So when you have a healthy fear of your boss, that's kind of a healthy respect and fear. How do you feel when that same boss comes by and says, I've been watching your work. You're doing a good job. I really appreciate how you go the extra mile and you are so conscientious about your work. Well done. How do you feel? Because of your fear of this boss, when he compliments you, your day is made. You feel like a million bucks. That's a little micro, <laughs> microcosm of what it means to fear God. Because God is the perfect boss. He does see everything. And he never gets it wrong. And his judgment is righteous and good. It's always perfect. Having a healthy fear of God is to be constantly aware of God. This week, I've really enjoyed reading a, a commentary on Deuteronomy by Rabbi Avigdor Miller. I believe Rabbi Miller is still living, but uh, I, I'd heard so much about him. You might call him an ultra-Orthodox Jewish preacher, and, uh, and he does a lot of public speaking. But he says, you have to know that you're in this world for one reason only, to become more and more aware of Hashem. That's why you're alive right now. Now think about that. Is that true? And I think pretty much it is. But if it's true, what are you going to do about that? If the entire reason for you to be in this world right now is to be aware of God, 
How you doing? Are you aware of him every moment of the day? And what I love about this commentary that he did on this Torah portion is he ties together what you find in the first chapter of this Torah portion about the, the great overwhelming joy of bringing your first fruits to Jerusalem and how the people would dance and there'd be music, there'd be singing and there'd be feasting and just all this joy and gratitude. And then he ties it right in with the curses and the blessings and the, the chapter with all the curses in it. Uh, later in the portion, he ties them all together and say they all serve this purpose. I want to take a moment and read you, uh, not all, but an extended uh, portion of his commentary. And uh, he's going to be commenting particularly on Deuteronomy 28.47, which is in our Torah portion. So let me just jump in, and I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. He starts this section with, you have to know that you're in this world for one reason, like the quote on the screen, to become more and more aware of Hashem. He uses the term Hashem, the name, uh, whereas most of the time I use Adonai. But since I'm reading his words, I'll use the term Hashem as well. That's why you're alive right now. And that's why Lahodot is the best good in this world. Lahodos means the gratitude, thanksgiving, is the best good in this world. Because enjoying the gifts of Hashem is the best way of living a life infused with awareness of him. A person who trains himself to recognize the endless benefits bestowed upon him every second of his life is living with awareness of Hashem. That's the real Shviti Hashem Lenegdi Tamid. That's a quote from Psalm 16.8, which says, I will, I will uh, stand the Lord before me always. I will keep the presence of the Lord, the awareness of the Lord before me always. Psalm 16.8. That's our purpose in this world, to train ourselves as much as possible to live with a tangible awareness of Hashem. And when you take the time to appreciate your eyes, your lungs, your home, your teeth, your feet, your fingers, and the thousands of other gifts from Hashem, then you've chosen the best career in life. And if you are a wise man, a man who wants to succeed in this purpose in life, you'll call out to Hashem in gratitude all day long. The more you say thank you, the more you bow down in gratitude. The more you stop in the middle of the day for a few seconds to think and to thank, the more you appreciate the details of all the simple pleasures of your life, the more you are becoming aware of Hashem. You'll begin to see Hashem, to, to actually see Him all day long and all the benefits He is giving to you. Every sincere thank you to Hashem is another degree of awareness, another degree of perfection in the eyes of Hashem. And there are infinite degrees of this awareness that man can achieve during this life. And do you want to know a secret? Hashem is providing you with his benefits all day long, all night long, just for that purpose, so that you should thank him and become more aware of him. Why do you think you have lungs? just to breathe, to oxygenate your cells? You think your legs are just for walking? No, your lungs are for thinking, and your legs are for thanking him. And your teeth and your fingers, your house and your children, your everything is to bring you to more and more awareness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One, blessed is he. 
the sole reason why you enjoy a slice of bread and a drink of water, why you enjoy your ability to use your eyes and move around without a wheelchair, why you enjoy a soft breeze and a clear blue sky and the thousands of other kindnesses you enjoy every single day is all for one purpose only so that you'll have the opportunity to recognize and appreciate your Creator and become aware of Him. The endless benefits that we receive are intended as constant reminders of the One bestowing the benefits. Once we understand that all of the Chazdei Hashem, that means the, uh, the Chesed, the loving kindnesses of God, are tools for us to achieve our purpose in this world, we can understand a verse in our Torah portion that at first glance seems quite perplexing. Hashem warns us of the many troubles and travails that will befall our nation throughout our history when we fail to live up to the standards He demands of us. And although there are many reasons why Hashem might deem it necessary to bring troubles upon us, the only one that he deems important enough to mention specifically is the following. And here's the verse, Deuteronomy 28, 47. And this will befall you because you did not serve Adonai your God with joy and with a good heart or a merry heart from an abundance of everything. All these, all these curses will befall you because you did not serve Adonai your God with joy, with a merry heart, a good heart, from an abundance of everything. And then Miller continues. He says, now, this is, does this make sense? Because <laughs> you're probably thinking, that doesn't make sense. As I like tell your kids, I want you to rejoice over all the good I've given you, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spank you really, really hard. And you're going to bed without dinner. And I'm taking away all your toys. So, now, does this make sense? Because we didn't serve Hashem with happiness, with a merry heart, is that a reason to suffer such terrible punishments? So we weren't happy. So what? We put on tefillin. We prayed. We kept Shabbat. We learned Torah. We did everything. But when we look at this verse, we see a very interesting word. It says, Takhat asher lo avedeta. This word because here in Hebrew is the word takhat. And it doesn't mean because. It means instead of. The word takhat in the verse actually implies something more than because. Translated properly, takhat means instead of. And therefore, the verse actually reads as follows. And all this will befall you instead of you serving Adonai with joy and with a good heart, a merry heart. Hashem is telling us here that the choice is ours. We can choose to serve Hashem with a joyful and merry heart and appreciation of an abundance of everything. That's one way of becoming aware of Him. But if we don't choose that option, Hashem won't allow us to fail. He will prod us toward awareness of him in other ways, by means of all the troubles of the tokocha, of all the, the curses listed in the second half of the Torah portion. The method of tachat instead of, instead of becoming aware of Hashem by calling out to him in happiness and joy, it will now be the troubles that you face that will prod you to awareness of him. Instead of calling out to him morov kol, 
in happiness, you will call out to him, because of what you need from him. It's not a punishment. It's just either or. Hashem wants you to succeed at what he created you for, awareness of him. And it's your choice how you're going to get there. And then the last bit here, and I'll be done with this quote. Here's a man who for 65 years woke up every morning without a headache. Every day for 65 years. You know how many days that is? It's more than 20,000 days. 20,000 mornings that were headache-free. And now he wakes up one morning, he has such a bad headache, he can't even think, he can't walk. A true story. A man called me up and told me this. So I was thinking, did you ever wake up in the morning and think Hashem, Baruch Hu, blessed is he, for not having a headache? No, it never even crossed his mind to think Hashem. And then finally the morning comes when Hashem says, Takhad asher lo, because you did not <laughs> serve me with, with joy and gladness of heart. Instead of giving you the opportunity to become aware of me because of the quiet mornings with no pain, the happiness of waking up with no migraines, so tachat, instead of that, I'll try a different method of getting your attention, of giving you the opportunity for perfection in gaining awareness of me. And so, the following morning, you wake up with a painful headache, and in desperation, you call out to Hashem for his help. And it is this calling out to him this newfound awareness of Hashem that you were created for. Trust me, Hashem knows how to get your attention. He knows exactly how to get you to call out to Him. And because you chose to achieve awareness through uh, crying out for healing instead of through crying out with thanksgiving, Hashem looks down at you with mercy and says, Why did you wait so long? Why couldn't you have just called out to me in gratitude? And then you wouldn't have had to call out to me in pain. Does that make sense or what? You know, as we go further into our Torah portion, look what it says in chapter 28, verse 58. If you are not careful to do all the words of this Torah that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and fearful name. The word for fear, the word for awesome are from the same root. Adonai, your God, then Adonai will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. The option is up to us. God is going to get our attention. Why do you think all the shaking in the world is taking place? Messiah is about to return, and he wants the world's attention. He wants us to get ready. He wants us to be aware of him. And because fear of God has become almost, almost has disappeared from the earth, and even believers don't talk about the fear of God anymore, God has to take away to stir up fear of him. Through a way he'd rather not have to. But we have to become aware of him. He is God. He is creator. He is redeemer. He is the one with whom we have to do. We have to give him our attention. Because if we don't, 
we're done for. There's no hope. Insanity is the result of not being aware of God. Foolishness, sickness, and death. But we have to become aware of him. So I'm probably preaching to the choir, but I'm just challenging you, all of us, and myself, to raise the bar and to truly think about how real God is and how we will stand before him and to be more aware of him now because we're going to be very aware of him then and we're going to wish we had known him better. And if we have a healthy and wholesome fear of God now, you'll experience real life, real joy. You'll be in a position to truly love him to love your neighbor and respect your neighbor. You'll be in a position to get out of your comfort zone. You will be able to make changes in your life. You'll be able to stand up and follow him, but not until you have a fear of him. And fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And that wisdom leads to knowledge of him. You'll really get to know him. Last week's Torah portion, Kitetse, began with words of war and ended with words of war against Amalek. And it reminded me of another Torah portion in Exodus, Torah portion, Bashalach. Bashalach means when, uh, when he sent. And it's in Exodus 13, 17 to 17, 16. And the Torah portion begins with a real war and ends with a real war, a real battle at the beginning and a real battle at the end. And it's, uh, it's kind of a mirror image in some ways of Torah portion Kitetse from last week. So it begins with a war. And when you read the beginning of the Torah portion, you'll find that the war is God versus Pharaoh. It's the whole incident of uh, Pharaoh's cavalry coming down against the people of Israel as they're camped by the Red Sea. And God tells Moses uh, and says, don't be afraid, stand still, behold the salvation of the Lord, and just be quiet. And, you know, the sea parts, the people go across, God holds off the cavalry, and once the people are across, they come through and <clears throat> they all sink to the bottom. They're dead. They're done. And um, God did all the fighting. God did all the fighting at that battle. By the way, a little interesting uh, insight here. Later, God is going to part the seas when the children of Israel cross the Jordan River. The, sea, the, the river parts and they cross on dry land. And he tells them to take 12 stones out of the riverbed, take them across into the land, and make a monument there to uh, memorialize their crossing and God's deliverance. So I got to thinking, when God parted the Red Sea, what was the memorial that was found on the other side where the people crossed over? What was the memorial there of God's deliverance? Think about that. I'm not going to give you the answer. I want you to think about it. It's in this Torah portion. Now, when you get to the end of Beshalak, there's another real battle. There's another war. Do you remember which one it is? 
This time, instead of God doing the fighting, Israel is told to fight. But it's not against Pharaoh. It's not against Egypt. They're done with. They're non-entity anymore. This war is against Amalek. This is where Amalek comes on the scene. And just like last week's Torah portion, Say ended with God telling the people, remember what Amalek did to you. You keep fighting them. Well, this is the scene. This is the place where they fought Amalek. Now, I want us to look at the dynamics of what happened that caused God to bring Amalek against them. Here's the passage. It comes from Exodus 17, right there near the end of Beshalach. And it's where the people began to whine because there's no water. And they come whining to Moses. And so God tells him, strike the rock. He strikes the rock. Water comes gushing out of the rock. And it says, and he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah. And I know your Bible say Meribah, but it's really Meribah from the word reeve, because of the quarreling, the reeve of the people of Israel. And because they tested, that's nasa. That's where you get the word masa, from the word nasa, to test. So he called the name of the place Masa and Merivah because of the reeve of the people of Israel, because they nasa Adonai, by saying, and these are the magic words that will make Amalek appear every single time. Is Adonai among us or not? Is he really here with us? And the next words are, then Amalek came and fought with Israel. Boom. You want Amalek to show up in your life? I hope not. But if you do, there's the magic formula. That's the incantation. Is God really here or not? Does God really care about me or not? Is he really involved in my life or not? And boom, Amalek comes. Because you see, when you begin to doubt... When you lose your fear of God, when you lose your awareness of God, Amalek will attack to take its place, to take his place and make his presence felt, Amalek's presence. And that's when the flesh rises up. Because the moment you start to think God's not around, God's not watching, God doesn't care, God's not involved, then your flesh says, well, let me take over. Let me take charge. I'll take care of things for you. And here's the secret weapon against Amalek. The secret weapon, which hopefully by now is no secret. If you want to blot out the name of Amalek, as we're commanded to do at the end of last week's Torah portion, here is your weapon. Gratitude. If you wield that weapon against Amalek, you will blot out his name. When you lose your gratitude, you lose your awareness of God. When you lose your fear of God, you lose your gratitude and your awareness of God, and Amalek will show up. But if you follow the advice of Rabbi Miller, and you're constantly grateful for the things in your life, you could avoid the curses. You could avoid every single one of them. But one way or the other, God's going to get your attention. And it can be through your choosing joy and a merry heart and looking at all the blessings he's given you. Or it can be through pain. 
one way or the other. It's going to get your attention. One way or the other, we all become aware of him. Option A, option B, your choice. That's why this Torah portion has a section all about joy and gratitude and has a section about blessings and curses and then a lot of curses. One way or the other, we must become aware of God. And fear of God is awareness of God. And it brings wisdom and knowledge and life and protection and confidence. No wonder the enemy doesn't want us talking about fear of God. And no wonder we see Amalek so alive and well in our churches and faith communities and in the lives of believers. So I hope this lesson will challenge you, encourage you. Let's raise the bar. Let's quit inviting Amalek into our lives. Let's become more aware of God. Now, there's some discussion questions here. And as with all the discussion questions, you may not have time in your group to discuss all of these. And maybe you will. That would be awesome. But pick some of the ones. At least pick one or two to discuss. And then think about them at home as well. So here they are. Why is fear of God so little talked about among believers today? And I could also ask, what are the consequences of this? Read and discuss the additional verses concerning the fear of God in the notes section below. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I so wish we had time to go over them now. They're, they're, you'll have a great time going through those. 1 John 4.18 states, quote, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love, unquote. How do we reconcile this verse with all the passages that command us to fear God? Now, I did not answer that question in the teaching, but the answer to that question is found in the verse itself, 1 John 4.18. So think about it, discuss it, and you'll come to the right answer. What is the dangerous question that Israel asked at the waters of Massa and Meribah? Have you ever asked this question when you shouldn't have? And let me just add a little note here. Massa and Meribah took place uh, not too long after Israel came out of Egypt. It was before they got to Mount Sinai. And Moses had commanded, strike the rock, and the waters came out. And that was called Masa and Meribah because they quarreled and whined against God. But when you fast forward 40 years to another different location, once again, the people need water and they whine about it. And God tells Moses, speak to the rock. But Moses gets angry and he strikes the rock. And in that passage, which is in Numbers, and it's in your notes, it's called Meribah again. This time, even Moses himself slipped in his awareness of God. And once again, you see a rock rock struck. We see Masa and Meribah again. Different time, different location. This tells me that Masa and Meribah is something we have to be on constant guard against in our own lives. This whining and complaining to God. 
It will always lead to, is God with us or not? Welcome Amalek. You've just invited him into your life. Let's not do that. There's no room for whining and complaining when you're filled with joy. You'll be filled with joy if you have a healthy fear of God. The fear of God is a strong foundation stone for our faith. And if we have a healthy fear of God, we will love him because we'll be so amazed by the fact that he loves us. And you'll have love and respect for your neighbor as well. So I pray you'll take this lesson to heart and not forget it. So let's pray. Our Father and King, thank you so much for the incredible wisdom your Torah offers us. Lord, help us to savor it, to linger over it, to embrace it, to drink it in, and to taste the sweetness like honey from the honeycomb. And Lord, I pray you'd make us a people who are people of fear of God. So we'll be trustworthy and loving and confident and wise and brave and courageous and we'll fear nothing else. Make us the people we need to be. Make us the people you want us to be. And make us the kinds of people who will stand and continue to stand when the rest of the world is being shaken to pieces. Make us those kinds of people, Lord, the kind of people you deserve as your followers and as your children. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen.